Welcome to the Lions Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Monday evening teaching. Don't the Japanese make great gongs? <laughs> you don't have these in Tibetan temples, right? Do we know that? We all know that. Yeah, so. Those are, yeah, those are. Don't have those in monasteries. It's not so hard to do 24 minutes, is it? Should be doing that every day, right? Yeah, simple. <clears throat> so I'm going to be talking on the Mahayana Sutta Lamkara, uh, this text which was uh, transcribed by Asanga and transmitted by Maitreya. Uh, the next Buddha in this fortunate eon. Um, this text has been classified according to the Yogacara school, uh, which was uh, called at some point the third turning of the wheel. First turning of the wheel was um, Four Noble Truths, right? Eightfold Path, Twelve Nidanas, um, first turning of the wheel at Sravasti. The second turning the wheel uh, from the Vajjana point of view was the Prajnaparamita Sutras. And uh, the philosophical uh, elucidation of that sutras is uh, generally seen uh, through Nagarjuna and Aryadeva, Chandrakirti, Buddha Palita. So we read uh, the wisdom verses, the fundamental root verses, correct? First, first book. That's generally not how it's done in the monasteries. They, they generally try to start kind of chronologically. <clears throat> but I, I had to see if people could make it through that, I figured they could make it through the rest, right? And uh, we have to know that piece. <clears throat> I found that if people sometimes start out with uh, a realist point of view, like the uh, Vibhasaka or Sutrantika, or Theravada view, you just never leave it. Because it just seems so tidy. <laughs> um, uh, however, uh, sometimes uh, people never leave the Prajnaparamita Madhyamaka view either. So in this Sangha, uh, I liken it to uh, taking a look uh, at a mountain, we need to start out by seeing the summit if we can. So that's why uh, for the dedicated students that have taken refuge in bodhicitta vows, bodhisattva vows, then uh, we've done the Mahamudra and uh, Dzogchen uh, retreats at Lotus View. And uh, Owens graciously said we could do another one this spring, right? <clears throat> it only really makes sense to do the Mahamudra, Dzogchen, and Tantra if you've read uh, and understand, at least uh, in some way, these uh, basic elucidations of the uh, first, second, and third turning of the wheel. <clears throat> hasn't gotten into trouble by saying, uh, I see the summit of the mountain, but hasn't done the walk from the base. So I'm fond of saying, I know some people, they've been in the lodge, and they've seen the top of the mountain, and they think they've attained the top of the mountain. But it's different, isn't it? Right? <clears throat> the Lamrim teachings um, also, uh, which we do here, uh, sometimes uh, people just stay in Lamrim forever. Which, which isn't bad, but um, that's like staying in Sacramento and never leaving. So we need to know the long run. We need to know intimately close at hand what our working day-to-day -day world is. Uh, and in some ways, that's the long rim, right? Long rim and Lojong and uh, that kind of world. But without the visionary world of the Yogacara, um, without... Uh, works like flowers 
uh, Sutra, Avatamsaka Sutra, Lotus Sutra, and the Shastras, like the, this uh, universal vehicle discourse, as Thurman says it, um, we're going to be missing something. The Bodhisattva uh, world uh, with the Bhumis that we like read in Chandrakirti and uh, the Bodhisattva uh, verses and chapters in this text are essential to understanding the nature mind. That you got to get. So sometimes the problem is we have very smart people. They're studying um, Abhidharma kinds of literature. They're um, maybe doing Mahamudra retreats or Vipassana retreats, um, Dzogchen retreats, but uh, they haven't gone through uh, the Bodhisattva training. So they're not, from our point of view, uh, they're not really going to understand nature mind. It's just kind of normative. We're just saying it. So I call Bodhisattva practice the long drive through Texas. Anybody ever driven actually through Texas? Like it just it, it just never ends. It, you, the only way to get through it is you just give up and go. Okay, we're just driving through Texas. Or what? Yeah, starts in New Mexico, right? Yeah, and just forever, forever. So it's interesting when people. Uh, now it's loud. Now it's soft. What am I doing wrong? Yeah, let me just turn it off for a second. Um, Okay, still? No. Okay. It went on and off. All right. <clears throat> Thurman believes that uh, this text and the text from Maitreya were uh, a response uh, by Mahayana uh, monks and nuns and lay people to try to reach out to greater society to try to make uh, the Dharma a little bit more understandable and not just um, a little bit too nihilistic. I, I don't know whether that's actually true or not. You know, we, we, we don't have like someone from, <laughs> we don't have the people saying, yeah, we, we're trying to reach out to the general populace. You know, it, it's not, it's a modern way of talking, but definitely we have the spirit of the Bodhisattva trying to say, okay, we have to make this understandable and inspiring. Understandable and inspiring. And the third part is really interesting. We're going to just not say that the mind is just knowing, but it's knowing and luminous. Knowing and luminous. <laughs> <clears throat> so it's not just empty in knowing, uh, as we might say in Madhyamaka, but it's empty and luminous knowing. If, if we're doing Anatara Tantra, we'd say empty, clear, luminous, blissful <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> and we're doing... Uh, all the all the yanas try to up each other. If we're saying Zogchen, we say uh, uh, primordially perfect, empty, clear, luminous, unfabricated, expressive awareness. Right? <laughs> That's an interesting part. I, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit. And Dzogchen, so much is talked about the expression, right? Expressiveness. 
how mind expresses itself, phenomena as expressions of awareness. This is, it's a little bit different, isn't it? It's, you know, each, each kind of uh, vehicle, each kind of layer um, has their own particular thingy, doesn't it? Are you starting to notice that? There's a flavor or something. So I live with a bunch of foodies, um, and Sabrina is a big foodie, her sister is a big foodies. So they'll, they'll be, <laughs> you just go out to like some Mexican restaurant that's not fancy like um, you know, Zocalo or something, and they'll go, yeah, there's a little lime in this, and I noticed this, and they'll ask the waiter, is this, where, where did this spice come from? Do you, I never did that, it was just you eat it. And, you know, so are any foodies here where you can actually like taste all these little things, right, like that? So uh, one of the big purposes of the third turning of the wheel, which, which includes Yogacara all the way up, is we want to develop the um, appreciation to uh, taste uh, indiscriminate, you know, in a good way, feel like we, we want to have that a completely unfindability emptiness of mind as a thing or experience as a thing. We want to, you know, have that clarity, and then we want to have the luminosity, the bliss, uh, the self-knowing, the completely unfabricated awareness that's expressing itself all the time. So, you know, it's not. It it just gets very very rich. That makes sense, right? But uh, in our tradition, we like to um, uh, kind of do one thing at a time so that it's not just one big stew. So by the end, you have all these different kind of flavors or tastes of your experience uh, very vivid. <clears throat> there was an interesting Zen teacher, um, who contemporary Zen teacher, um, uh, so on Roshi, who um, he'd serve him coffee, and he'd he'd drink a little of the coffee black, and then he would add some cream, and drink that, or maybe another third, and then he would add sugar, and then he'd drink that part, <laughs> like that. <laughs> So everything uh, was interrelated, but um, the tastes were quite uh, distinct. So in Yogacara, we're trying to make this very distinct by adding kind of uh, a third element. Uh, so we don't have just absolute and relative truth. We have uh, what Thurman calls uh, imagination. I don't like the translation because it's completely false truth. It's, complete, it's not a truth, it's this complete falsity. So we have like three things. Where in Madhyamaka we just say, well, there's conventional or relative, and then there's the ultimate truth of the conventional relative, and that's emptiness. But in Yogacara we kind of go, well, the falseness is projected onto the paratantra, onto the interrelated world, which is still a relative world. And we still have the absolute world of uh, emptiness, but this emptiness isn't a, um, a nihilistic emptiness. We're, we're going to say that it's knowing and luminous. It's easier to explain that to people, don't you think? Pardon me? It's more appealing. It does feel more appealing, doesn't it? Less danger of nihilism. Less, less danger of nihilism. So even in the uh, Pali Theravada Sutras, the Buddha said, well, um, we don't want to be connected or we don't want to be uh, stuck on extremes but it's better to be stuck on uh, everything exists than nothing exists. 
I mean, if you have to make a mistake, go that direction, right? So you can see with Nagarjuna that he's really, really trying to say we can't find anything that exists solely on its own, which Yogacara is going to say, Tantra is going to say, and Dzogchen is going to say, but um, we're going to make sure in our way you don't go over to nihilism just like Nagarjuna is at pains to show that even though everything's uh, ultimately empty, we still have karma and we still have the path. But sometimes it seems just easier with Yogacara. You don't have to do so many twists, right? But to do uh, Mahamudra and Dzogchen, you're still going to have to master Madhyamaka and turn yourself inside out. <clears throat> when I'm giving these talks, uh, I'm assuming you've read all this stuff. Otherwise, I don't know how what I say can make any sense at all because I'm not giving a regular college lecture while I'm spoon-feeding it. Isn't that so? But I know some people in the audience haven't read everything, so you'll just have to do what? Read it. Right, Craig? That's it. Get with it. All right. Um, the part also that's really important in the third turning of the wheel, and in Parsan Paramita too, is this very emotional, very uh, heartfelt, aspiration, devotional side. So lots of times they say, you can't do Tantra unless you're in love. Well, you can't do Yogacara unless you're in love either because Maitreya is the source, loving Buddha. It's not kindness Buddha, <laughs> so we don't... We don't say, we don't like dumb it down like they do in American Vipassana. We just come out out and say it. My tree, you know, means love. Not loving kindness, just love, right? That's nice, isn't it? It is kind, it's not love based on uh, uh, possession, but it's really passionate love. Mm. So, the very first thing starts out with how, you know, like how much we love Maitreya and uh, the, the visionary part of the text is essential. But Elizabeth, you're going to have to do a 12-year retreat if you want Maitreya to come down, right? You up for that? Yeah, 12 years. Is that okay? Start now. Okay. <laughs> Sampa. Sampa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can do it sooner than 12 years, but uh, Asanga had, uh, he had to do like 12 years. In this, in this text, it doesn't go into the developed Chittimatra idea of uh, the uh, six consciousnesses, the seventh consciousness, the eighth consciousness, and the Alia consciousness, but I should say a few things about it. Some people have probably heard of storehouse consciousness, right? Uh, that's a translation of Alia Vijnana. So, Vijnanam is like a clarification of jhana, right? Everyone has taken refuge here. Yeah, yeshe is the Tibetan for jhana, like primordial wisdom or knowledge. So vijnana means like dualistic knowing. One's jhana, which means non-dualistic knowing, so vijnana means dualistic knowing. So ali means the abode of dualistic knowing. So one thing that's unique about Yogacara 
is that it postulates that actually we have this kind of cosmic memory that has seeds in it. And it has all the seeds that then ripen into uh, delusional thoughts and delusional objects. So our goal isn't just to clarify uh, our ego state. I don't like using that word, but that's what people sometimes say, like, I, I want to get, you know, like, rid of myself, <laughs> which is wrong, but I want to clarify myself. But you also have to completely clarify your storehouse consciousness and turn it into alia jhana, right? So we don't get away with just saying, well, I'm, I've seen the emptiness of uh, my individual self, and I've seen the emptiness of phenomena. You also have to like empty out, so to speak, or clarify, or realize um, everything you've stored up for the last eon. or longer, or the last billion eons. And does that show up as motivation? Uh, you mean, like, do you need motivation to do that? No, no. Um, does it show up as motivation? That storehouse consciousness, for instance, I'm sitting there, uh -huh. I wouldn't call it motivation. Uh, it's deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, we, when, when, we start, when we start changing things on the surface, uh, that, that's going to change certain perceptions. Uh, but uh, there has to be, in the Yogacara, Chittimatra, a total uh, turning around, and we use the, that term in this translation, turning around of consciousness. So it means a total paradigm shift of how we view the world. So it's not just merely we see the same world, but we're less um, egoistic about it, or less selfish, or self-centered. It, it appears as a totally different world. So to understand what we mean in Dzogchen by pure view, uh, we have to get into this Yogacara Chittimatra worldview and see that we have to totally have a different paradigm operating. We have to go deep and kind of just upend the whole thing because we're upside down. So we have to like totally upend the whole thing and change the paradigm. So it, it is a very vast undertaking uh, to change our whole uh, thing into a and translate as a Buddhaverse, right? <laughs> so we're not in the universe anymore, we're in the Buddhaverse. <clears throat> like that. Let me stop here for a second, uh, so for a minute. Good. That's good. Yeah, go. Oh, what do you know? I came on. Um, well, first of all, going backwards from where you just were. Yes. The third turning of the wheel. Yeah. 
So that would include the Samni Nirmalkama Sutra, yeah. the Lalita Vishtara, but does that also include Tantra? Well, uh, Tantra is part of that continuum of the third turning of the wheel. You know, it's, uh, we try to, in, you know, in uh, Gelug School, we, we try to see everything as a continuum. So that's why the name of the temple is Dana Darge, the um, union and flourishing of Sutra and Tantra. So uh, we try to see that as uh, uh, you know, a particular extension so that the Tantras are um, bringing out the key points in some of the Mahayana Shastras and Mahayana Sutras that um, were or are spoke about in an exoteric way, perhaps, but then need to be elucidated, yeah, like that. So. Whereas in the Nyingma, they would more say the third turning is Tantra. <laughs> um, well, they wouldn't say the second turning is Yogacara, right? But they do, I don't know. They, no, I don't think so. Yeah. So, yeah, tan- the third turning is generally the mind-only skull, which then, you know, kind of goes into Tantra, so... Uh, yeah, that distinction always confused me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tantra is generally seen uh, when all the schools as being, uh, in a sense, supercharged Mahayana, like that. But, uh, you know, that's where, this is a little esoteric. You know, then we read some things like, even on retreat, we've read Tilopa's um, instructions, Upadesha to Naropa saying, oh, you know, all these rituals and tantras, you know, garbage. Just, just do Mahamudra, right? <laughs> but actually, I don't know anybody that teaches like that. So then I've, I've had people read Charlie Grimshay's book on minded ease. So he says, yeah, 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 but, you know, and it's different, but it's a continuum like that. So that, that's kind of traditional. Because he, ta- he talks about uh, Mahayana as uh, what purification, uh, Tantra's transformation, and uh, Mahamudra's liberation, right? I know Alan's read that book, right? So is that correct? Yeah, like that. <coughs> And then toward the end of what you're saying, the total revolution of the mind, yeah. seeing a different world. Yeah. If we were to put that in, say, I don't know, Freudian Jungian terms, okay, you could almost say that that's the complete dredging of the unconscious and the reorientation of the unconscious in a way, right? In those terms, uh, people have written things from that point of view. Well, I'm not saying that yeah. that's what it is. I just yeah. mean <laughs> it's a means of communicate symbolically almost. Yeah, so uh, it, there's something to be said for that, yeah. So there's, uh, of course, Jung had this idea of the collective unconscious, so not in the personal unconscious. So uh, the, so it would go very deep, deeper than just you know, clarifying and, and being a nice, um, a nice ego, you know, like that. But that, you know, it, it, it's going to be talked a little psychologically because people mix them up. You know, all the time they're saying, you know, that's too much ego, that's too much that. You know, it's unfortunate, but there it is. It's Trunker Shay's fault. <laughs> James, yeah. Um, in the maturities section, yeah. if injured by another, sees him as his benefactor, even the greatest violation, through enduring injury. This seems fantastic to my mind that I will be able to get to a point even with that as my aspiration in this life. How does one practice that? Iteratively. 
the bodhisattva trainings, the transcendences, the paramitas, um, are not practiced by our personal self. Uh, once we're in the second turning of the wheel, uh, the Mahayana, Prajnaparamita, third turning, Yogachara, and Tan, we have left behind the idea that the personal self is doing this. Yeah, I mean, it's not, the one on the driver's license can't be that one that, that does that kind of activity where there's no, you know, doer, there's no deed, there's no somebody done to, you know, that, that's, we've left that behind. It's a big problem in America. We, we kind of, even though we talk about selflessness and no self, we still think like, well, the one on the driver's license, my personal feeling self, is the one that's going to become enlightened. You know, and the one that is doing all these activities, right? You're thinking like, I'm going, your unexamined, just regular self is, I'm going to become a Buddha. <laughs> but that's not the way it works. We have to use some language, but our personal self that we identify with is not, that's not who we're talking about. Yeah, but it's true. But we still end up thinking that, well, I, you know, I want to become enlightened and me with my personal history and I'm going to do all these bodhisattva activities of selfless sainthood and I'll still feel like me. But uh, there's a problem there. So... Uh, if you still feel like you, there's a problem after doing many years of practice. Um, like if you, if some of us still have like old photo albums, right? So if you look back in the old photo album, you can recognize that there's a continuity, you know, between what we look like now and maybe what we looked like when we were ten. But um, do you really think you're the same person that you were in 10? Do you really think like a 10-year-old? Except when we're in our... <laughs> right. So, right. <laughs> 10 would be good. <laughs> yeah, we... Yeah. We, we know that that 10-year-old hasn't... Is not, is not now the adult. Right? Can't be. It's not like we're ten year old and then we just kind of like the movie Big with Tom Hanks. You know, we're not. You know, that hasn't happened. But we imagine somehow that this present consciousness will somehow, uh, you know, that identifies as me. It's on the driver's license. It, that's the one that's going to become enlightened and purified. But that, that one is definitely different than the one even a year ago, right? Definitely the one, I mean, here's, here's what you should try doing. Maybe people are, you know, you keep a dream journal long enough, and maybe you remember the dream by a week ago. But let's say you look at your dream journal a year ago. Do you even remember having that dream? It just seems totally alien, doesn't it? And looking at old pictures of yourself, you should be able to recognize, like, okay, that, we say conventionally, that's me. That was me when I was 10. But it, it's not going to be the same self, right? So there's no way the same self that you have now is the one that you identify individually is the one that's going to become a Buddha. It never catches up. <laughs> what a relief. It doesn't have to catch up. Complete relief after all these years of self improvement. Oh my God, we can let that one go. <laughs> Torture act of self improvement. Um, I have a question about love and devotion. Right. I would posit that the Sangha 
would have moved along a lot faster if he had real devotion and eventually discovered it. So with your storehouse and with your practice, it seems to me that there has to be a certain level of devotion maybe in Tantra and in your basic uh, shamatha practice. There's a certain level of devotion. Um, so how, does, how do you use devotion? How does devotion act, act in emptiness? How does, how does, where does that, uh, Asanga used it. These great beings use it. They use devotion and love. So how, is, how do you use that? How do you understand that and how do you use that in the appropriate devotional way? There is, you know... The, the class, is, this is a classic yeah. thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, like, um, I'm not sure I'm saying Tibetan exactly right, but Mopa is like, uh, Mopa is like sometimes, you know, translated as devotion, but it's kind of like this real heartfelt, humble interest, this, this real sense of open-heartedness, like that. Uh, the thing is with... Uh, of course, devotion, as much as the nature of mind, you know, we don't own it. That's always the big thing, is that we feel we're going to own our enlightenment someday the way we own our body or we think we own our thoughts, right? But uh, the, the devotion that's talked about that's part of bodhisattva practice is you don't own it. That's, that's what makes it really wonderful. It's this open-heartedness, emotional connection, and enthusiasm, and, and everything. But we're not owning it. So, uh, you know, the story about um, Asanga 12 years is, is also a cautionary tale, um, because that was fast. Okay, that, that was really fast. I mean, 12 years is nothing. I started formal practice 50 years ago. I'm still working on it. So 12 years is nothing. That's fast. Somebody does something in 12 years, that, that's a spiritual genius, right? So which, which um, Asanga was. Because you, ha- you have to be incredibly <laughs> devoted to star, like... Okay, I'm not having anything, and I'm just still going to do the practice, right? How many people would do that? (laughs) Thanks for saying that. That's good. (laughs) I appreciate that. There you go. That says it. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's wonderful to be doing the practice without having a demand attached to it. You know, without thinking, well, I want to own something big at the end. You know, it's really incredible to say, like, may all my merit be dedicated, meaning I have zero. So, I mean, that's something. You're chasing it. It's not mine. No, it's not. You know, and you're not going to own it either. You know, you're not going to say, well, now I own my awareness and, you know, can't, you can't, can't give it to someone and it can't be taken away. You don't own it, which is just annoying. With, with the anyway, that he stopped chasing it? Yes, he stopped chasing it, yeah. There's probably, um, you know, like so many great teachers, like, uh, you know, it was, it was just like you're filling your water glass up to the top and it still has a little cohesion, and it, it just takes a little pinprick to kind of open it up. And that's why I think, um, you know, we need kind of something from the so-called outside to do that. You, you can't kind of... Trungpa uh, Ramshay was really funny. He said, you know, usually ego wants to attend its own funeral. <laughs> so, you know, we're always thinking, well, we'll just burst our own bubble. But we actually need others or something uh, that appears from outside our personal consciousness to do that. So a lot of times there's Zen stories about sounds or birds or animals doing it. 
or someone whacking you on the side of the head. Um, but it, it needed that kind of outside spark. So, you know, even though he was kind of very spiritually pregnant, it, it, it just needed that. That unexpected something to happen like that. But he had a lot of devotion, you know, going into it. It was just an extremely full, very full situation for him, I'm sure. What do you think? You still got the mic, so we haven't grabbed it out of your hand. You can well, still um, I yeah. uh, just thinking of the Hindu devotion as opposed to the Tibetan Buddhist devotion. It's a different, it's a different creature then, in in some ways. Uh, I I really can't speak to you know traditional. Um, Hindu bhakti devotion, but um, a lot of times it, it it doesn't look all that much different. You know, so, some people are uh, by nature very effulgent and you know very praising and you know very out there with their devotion, and other people are more quiet. You know, there isn't you know their their cultural ways of expressing devotion and. Um, you know, so people just do it differently in Tibet too. You know, it's like, uh, you know, different in Japan. Um, and you just don't, you know, you, you, you can't preordain it. You know, I was, a uh, long time ago, I was having a talk with um, Lama Lodro from San Francisco when he saw, uh, you know, Kalarimshe passed into Parinirvana about maybe 1989, something like that. So Lama Lodra was, uh, I don't know, does anybody know Lama Lodra? He used to come to Sacramento, yeah. So, you know, it was kind of like, okay, you know, that's cool. I mean, Rimshay's mind was Mahamudra anyway, so nothing changed, you know, just, you know, uh, his, you know, body disappeared, or, you know, well, it didn't disappear, but he was in Tukden for a long time, and blah, blah, blah. So he's good. I'm good. You know, cool. Uh, but when you know he went before you know the uh, you know before you, they put you or put put Kalarimshi, you know uh, in you know they, he just saw him and he just burst into tears and just fell down you know like that. It surprised even him, you know. Some, so sometimes you're just really all together, and you think, "Yeah, I really love that person," and but then something happens, and you just you puddle up, right? So it's unpredictable. There's an unpredictability. If it's really predictable, then you probably are trying to own it. Lot to say about devotion. <clears throat> Well, I just find myself oddly devoted to things I don't understand. So I feel like maybe Roger devotion, that. yeah, I feel like <laughs> devotion might be a key factor. It's it's an absolutely key factor that um, because of traditional or European Western authority issues, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, we we have a lot of trouble with that word and like that. But it's it's not idiot devotion in the tradition. It has to have a wisdom mind behind it. And if it's all about owning and it's very dualistic and subject object, it's obviously, you know, just gonna be attachment. But even even though you know your teachers merge with everything that just with the Dharma Datu, with the Dharmata, that doesn't mean you just don't miss him or her, right? What do you think? Well, I, th yeah. I I think you can have great devotion and realize that you've, yeah. uh, hmm. I don't know, in, in my personal experience, realize that you've reached the finish of the relationship, that it's no longer necessary, although you still feel devoted for the, to the person. Then you go on with your search or your practice or you... You you move, um, 
you know, I did this about 10, 20 years ago. So it, 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 is, a, it is a thing. It's like grit working on you. Uh, like you're a pearl, and it's like grit working on you. So the the Tibetan is interesting. So it's this open-hearted uh, investigation. So it's it's not so siloed, really. You know, that's the problem with the the English word. It feels like well, that's devotion, and over here is insight, and over here is effort. It's not that siloed, like that. Um, even the most kind of iconoclastic teachers I've studied with, uh, and even the most iconoclastic Mahasiddhas, um, are never going to trash their guru or lama. You just would never find it. Oh, I yeah. guess I'm talking so, about y- yidams. Yidams. I'm talking about yidams. Yeah, oh. that's what I'm talking about. Okay. More, more <laughs> than, than real people, but yidams, you go fuck is this you know where did this come from <laughs> all right i'll just tell a yidam story and then we got to close so yidams mean like you know devoted our pledge our pledge buddha you know so like that um you know some people are familiar with this story but i'll just tell it for others like um uh you know marpa went and made several visits to india uh, his last visit, you know, he saw Naropa and asked, uh, I think it was for Chakrasambara, and uh, Naropa manifested the whole mandala uh, of Chakrasambara in the sky and then kind of tested <laughs> Marpa and said, well, will you bow to uh, the mandala or will you bow to me? So what did Marpa do? You guys, you've heard this, right, before? Pardon me? Well, it was, it was Naropa and Marpa at this point. Naropa and Marpa. Marpa from Tibet, you know, had come down and those kind of final teachings. Well, probably Marpa did what all of us would do. is like this incredible display, and you kind of go like, oh, my God, yeah. Woot! Like, you know, Naropa just took it all back in and said, uh, the Lama's the source. The Guru's the source. Oh, so he didn't bow to the Yeah, he, he, bowed, he, he bowed to the display. Uh-huh. And then, the yeah, and then... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, well, I'm just pointing out that even these, you know, Marpa by then was already a teacher and uh-huh. very, you know, I mean, we all just kind of get confused. Um, and then, you know, so you have this, then these kind of predictions like, you know, goes, well, okay, I know he's still a really good guy, but your lineage is going to have problems in the future. <laughs> you know, that's how it always goes. Like, well, you're okay, you're still okay with me, but, you know, this is going to have a karmic mess up for you and like that. But that's the typical thing is that, you know, you're, you're and that's just display. So the yidam is always an expression of the Buddha or the Lama. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 So. Okay. Well, hopefully there are no unanswered questions tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of devotion. Thank you. But. So the. I'm teaching in a very traditional way. I'm trying to be explicit and towards your experience. But um, uh, the idea is we have to keep practicing to understand what happened before. So there's kind of a funny thing where um, it's, it's a very developmental lineage and tradition. All of the lineages are very developmental. They're going to say, well, we know you don't understand this completely, but enough to kind of go on to the next one, which will ho- hopefully clarify the one before. So each kind of book or training or text or 
empowerment is supposed to prepare you to take the next step, but it, 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 it is always a sense of still a little bit of a humble leap, right? There's never kind of like, you know, you, you, you do enough to take the next step, so to speak. Yes. So what? What? <laughs> there's this back and forth in the study. So, um, let's say you're reading this literature, or let's say you read, hopefully the Karikas, Nagarjuna's Karikas, and maybe some people read Chandrakirti, Honorary Dave, or something. And then, then you go back and read the original again. So there's always this moving forward because we think, okay, we have enough foundation to you know advance this way. And then, then you go back. So there's always this kind of looping quality. It's kind of going like this, going like this. So you never really discard what's gone before. You're just kind of weaving it in, so to speak, and that's Tantra. So a lot of wonderful teachers, historically, and ones I've met and learned from, said, you know, it wasn't until I was doing <laughs> Dzogchen that I understood what you know, this uh, first turning of the wheel sutra was about. You know, they just go backwards. Dirk knows what I'm talking about. They'll just kind of go, you know, I really didn't get renunciation until I got up to, you know, up this far, right? So you, you look, you don't always see the mountain until you've been to the top, and then you've been to the bottom, and then you walk on and you look back like that. What do you think like that? It's a little bit like that. Right. <laughs> so um, uh, the idea in Dharma uh, is there's a, a progressive unfolding of uh, realization and blossoming. So uh, it's very strong now in the modern world. It's always been, you know, probably a little bit, I'll say something a little bit sectarian, probably strongest in the Nyingma school where the idea of Dharma and uh, Evolved, you know, where your new things are being discovered all the time, and you know, a little bit the good idea of the Tolka system is that, you know, people are appearing and, um, you know, bringing forth things from old. So they're, you know, you're kind of rewrapping and going back, like that. So there's constantly a, a redoing and a, a refreshing of the tradition. It's good to know. Yes. Okay, it's time to do our closing. This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.